You're listening to Hustle with Intention, episode four. Today's guest is my friend, Jameis Huff. Jameis is a community-based yoga teacher here in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I also reside. And she's just an all-around rock star of a human. I have been fortunate enough to train under Jameis in her advanced yoga teacher training and rocket yoga teacher trainings here in the Queen City. And I just cannot say enough good things about this chick, y'all. She is the creator of Solstice. So think sober yoga rave meets exotic dance. More on that later. And facilitates yoga teacher trainings and worldwide retreats. So in today's episode, we touch on a lot of different topics, ranging from growing her yoga business, learning how to love yourself post-breakup, sitting with your shit, rewriting your story, using your social media platforms to talk about things that matter, and our experience meeting Lisa Vanderpump together. Yes, that really happened. And the story is something else. You're not going to want to miss it. So honestly, you guys, I couldn't even decide what to name this episode because we touch on so many different topics, but I can promise that it is filled with some juicy nuggets of info and inspo, plus a few laughs that'll leave you feeling really, really good. Does that sound good? Okay. Without further ado, here's my girl, Jameis. Welcome to Hustle with Intention. I'm your host, Heather Lynn, and this is a podcast for the purposeful hustler looking to break their mold and turn their passion and expertise into an intentional, thriving online business. If you're ready to step into your power and live your best life, then you're in the right place. Without further ado, let's dive in. Hi, Jameis. Hi, Heather. How are you? I'm great. Excited to chat with you today. Yeah, I'm so excited that you're here. So I have so much that we want to talk about today. I know we've been talking a little bit before we jumped on this call, but let's go ahead and dive in. I want to get started by you just sharing a little bit about yourself and your story, what you do, all that good stuff. Right. I'm Jameis Huff. I am a yoga teacher based out of Charlotte. I lead classes and facilitate yoga teacher trainings and retreats, and I consider myself a community-based yoga teacher, so something that I really feel passionate about is connecting people and building a strong community and foundation in the practice. Cool. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I do love about you, Jameis. I love how community focused you are, community driven you are. And I really think it's made a huge difference and a huge impact on the Charlotte yoga community. And I actually remember the first time I took your yoga class, it was, I think you had just moved here and you were teaching a class at Laughing Buddha. I'm sure you remember (laughs) one of the first studios and only at the time that I went to in Charlotte where my yoga journey began. And I took your class and I remember just feeling after when I left, just feeling really like it was so different. It was a different style than I had taken before. Um, like you played these like really sick beats and there were no words in the music. And at first I'm like really confused, like when are the words going to come on, but then they don't. And then you're like, Oh wow, I actually really love this. Like I'm tuned into my breath and my body and I'm moving and it's really cool. And so I think it's kind of safe to say ever since I took your class then, I've sort of just seen you shake up, continue to shake up the Charlotte yoga scene ever since, and specifically now with Rocket Yoga. So I would love for you to just share a little bit about what that process has looked like for you, why you felt drawn to bring Rocket Yoga here to Charlotte, and kind of what that's meant for you. Yeah, so... 
I started practicing rocket yoga. I stumbled into a class when I was living in Northern Virginia. I guess this is about five years ago now. And it is a really empowering, strong practice. It's what we would call progressive Ashtanga. So it's a remix of the Ashtanga first, second, and some of the third series. But it's also this very playful form of yoga. And at the time when I first found it, I had just finished my 200 hour training and I wanted to get stronger in my practice. I felt like I had this foundation that I was building and I wanted to learn how to grow. Started practicing rocket, loved it, and then moved to Charlotte a couple years later. And at that time, when I first moved here, everything was hot power yoga. And that became my primary practice, even though I was trained in prana flow, which is a much slower style of yoga, and I couldn't find any rocket here. And I noticed after about two years being here, maybe it was more like a year and a half of just practicing hot power yoga, that I wasn't getting any stronger. And I realized I was probably going to have to go take a rocket training so that I could learn the sequences and then practice them myself. Mm-hmm. That was my original plan. And then see what happened as far as sharing the practice with others. And I took my first training with David Kyle up in Washington, D.C., and found that I got so strong practicing that sequence, four, five, six, sometimes seven days a week for several months. And you knew me back then, and you kind of thought I got crazy strong it was so crazy so crazy and I never knew that you did it like that often I thought you just did a couple days a week and I was like dang you're getting it but seven days okay yeah (laughs) makes sense I've been in a training and yeah at the end of seven days yeah if you feel pretty strong (laughs) pretty strong and and I enjoyed after teaching and practicing vinyasa flow which you know is very creative kind of anything goes with your sequencing. It was nice to have a foundation, a set sequence, but also there was room to be creative within them. It was almost a year after my first training that I finally talked to studio into letting me add a rocket class on the schedule. And I got a lot of pushback because it was different and it wasn't heated because you can't, I mean, you can practice rocket in a hot you in a hot room but you build so much internal heat that it took away from the practice I found and so it's hard to talk people into trying a power yoga class it wasn't hot and sometimes I would have one person in class sometimes two sometimes zero sometimes I would get more people to come. And then after I can still remember a student that I knew really well coming up after class. And I said, how, how is class? What did you think? And they said, I didn't like that. I didn't like it at all. I was like, Oh man. (laughs) Okay. But you know, not everybody likes everything and not everything. Every practice is for everyone. And I kept pushing on and kept teaching. And here we are three years later and I've talked David Kyle into coming to Charlotte to lead a training. So I know it's, it's so amazing. So what kind of motivated you to push through? And even though you got some resistance and not a lot of people were showing up and maybe it seemed like no one was really into it, what kind of motivated you to keep going? 
I think it was, it was a lot because I felt so strongly about the practice. It's been around for years now. I didn't create rocket yoga. It was founded and created by Larry Schultz, who's no longer alive, but has been carried on by one of his students, David Kyle, who's my teacher. And it's this tried and true sequence that is very intelligently sequenced. And I saw how strong I was able to get. I was able to tap into strength that I didn't know was there. And so I kind of, whenever you love something and feel really strongly about it, especially if it's something new, you and I have talked about this before, being an entrepreneur or or trying to introduce people to something that they're not used to, especially within the yoga community, life is chaotic and crazy and people like that consistency in their yoga practice. They like to know who the teacher is. They like to know what the practice is. And so I understood the resistance for sure. But when you love something and you feel so passionately about sharing it with people, you just sort of keep going. And there were a few students who really loved it from the first time they practiced. I mean, you know, some of them, I know you would count as one of them. You were always there in the front row that studio. Um, and I had some other students who still practice with me every week, years later, who really enjoyed the sequence, enjoyed the philosophy behind the practice, and also saw their practice progress pretty quickly. And it's easy to get caught up in numbers as a yoga teacher and think that what matters is that you have a room full of people and that there's a hundred people in there all cheering you on but that's really not what it's about. And I often had more fun with one or two students in the room, playing around, doing drills, helping assist them into inversions and empowering them. And we would laugh and keep it casual and chat after class. And that was enough to keep me going. I love that. So I want to segue off of that a little bit and talk more about the business side of yoga. I've seen you really grow your business, especially over these past couple of years. And it's been so amazing just to witness and be a part of. And it's really inspiring for me as well to keep going. And so I wanted to just talk a little bit about social media and the role that that's kind of played in helping you grow your yoga business. And then some of the other things that you've been able to incorporate into your business. Yeah. Well, you help me a lot with social media. I, my teachers, when I first started studying yoga, were not into social media. That was really kind of when Instagram was coming on the scene. And I wasn't necessarily encouraged to use social media as a platform. And it almost felt like I shouldn't initially. And so instead I was running yoga studios, social media accounts. I mean, I think I was good at it and I knew, and I'm a good writer, so I knew how to share things. But when it came to sharing about myself, it made me really uncomfortable. I was always scared about what people would think about me. And your social media, you grew your Instagram account pretty quickly. I remember at one point and you and I getting together for coffee and you being really encouraging and telling me, to put more energy and effort towards it. And I tell people this all the time, social media is such a double-edged sword, especially Instagram. 
sometimes I just want to throw my phone out the window. I mean, I haven't posted in a week now. My phone just reminded me. I'm sure you know. I I literally said that to a girl on the actual previous podcast. I said, sometimes I just want to throw my phone out the window and move to an island and call it a day. (laughs) But at the same time, and I know you can agree with this, that it has given me a sense of freedom because I put so much energy and effort into growing my brand. And I can talk about that a little bit too. One of my best friends is, um, worked for an advertising firm for a long time and does brand management and consulting for a huge, um, wine distribution company. And she helped me around this time last year, we had gotten together with a bunch of our girlfriends and I was talking about, there was a lot of things happening within the yoga community here in Charlotte politically that I found very upsetting and I wanted to share about it, but I was afraid to at a certain point, or I wasn't sure to the extent that I should share, even though I knew that it was important that I speak out about it. And she said, well, you know, that's kind of part of the brand that you've built. I said, I have a brand. She said, of course you do. You know, I had never thought of that. I've never thought of myself or my social media or me as a yoga teacher as a brand. And she's like, oh yeah, of course. Like the way that you present yourself on social media, part of that is that you speak up and that you care about social justice efforts. And so she said, there's no reason that you can't share that. And if people don't like it and then they just don't align with your brand and then they unfollow you and then that's fine. You'll reconnect with people who are interested in what you have to say. And I found that to be the most empowering advice that I was given and everything changed for me then. And I felt like it was okay to be more of who I was and share what I was actually feeling or thinking versus as anybody on social media. But I think especially yoga teachers, we feel this need to present ourselves or in a certain way that we are inspiring and wise and we have our shit together when really we're just normal people who are doing our best to share things that we've learned. And a lot of that comes from inspiring people by actually sharing your story and letting people know that they're not alone and that you struggle with the same things that they struggle with. And essentially that is how you make real connections with people and teach. I think. Yeah, definitely. I think storytelling and sharing our experiences is one of the most powerful ways to build a community and attract a tribe. And, you know, as far as branding is concerned, it is a really great way to connect with either your ideal clients or customers or, you know, in this case, like students, it really just get down with what you get down with, you know, and friends, like that's how you make some really great friends too. It is true. Uh, yeah. You're like, Oh, you didn't like, you went through that. I did too. Like I'm, I'm not alone. I mean, you talk about that a lot too, just like we're stronger together. And I know you said that at the beginning as well. And I think that that's just a really great way to connect. And I definitely see that in your brand because you do talk about, you know, things that matter to you and that are important to you. And if it doesn't resonate with some people, then it doesn't resonate with them, you know? Yeah. Well, I there's some freedom in that too, you know, and just being okay with like not being everyone's cup of tea. Because we won't. 
I mean, ever that's impossible. But as somebody who's a perfectionist and a people pleaser who always wants everyone to be happy, that has been a big lesson for me. But I think that what's happening in your community and outside your yoga studio and on your yoga mat is just as important as what is happening inside your studio and on your yoga mat. And we get into big trouble and we perpetuate things when we decide not to speak up about things because we are afraid of what people will think. And that's something that I know is really hard for a lot of yoga teachers to do, especially when you're putting it in writing or you're saying something on a screen um, that is going out into the internet and it's there forever. I mean, especially when, you know, Dana Falsetti got sued last year for sharing her opinions about things and got sued by a big company and was like, that's kind of in the back of your mind too. Like, Oh wow. Am I going to get into trouble for saying this, but what kind of trouble am I allowing to happen if I don't say anything, you know? Yeah, totally. And I don't know about you, but for me, I know there's some times where I will write something either in my notes app on my phone or on my computer and I'll be like, oh yeah, this is like really good. Like I feel strongly about this. I'm going to share it. And then I read it back and I'm like, "Mm, actually, maybe not. I don't know. That sentence sounds a little off. Maybe it's going to offend someone. And I mean, you're shaking your head like, yeah, I know what you mean. So I guess my question for you is, have you ever found yourself in a similar situation and what motivates you to say, I'm going to share this anyways, even though everyone might not agree with it, um, because I feel strongly about this and because of the intention that you might have behind it. That's a tough one. And I've definitely written things out before. And if it is something that I am writing heatedly, that I feel really passionate about, that I feel that emotional charge when I'm writing it, what I know is that I should probably wait 45 minutes or an hour and go back and read it and make sure that I'm communicating the way that I'm feeling and trying to get my point across in a way that people can still hear or read what I'm trying to say versus straight up bashing people or offending people. And it's a fine line for sure. But there have been times when I have written things and sat there and thought, I'm not going to share this. It's too personal. It's, it could be too divisive. It could upset too many people. But then I realized that that's why I have to share it, you know? Yeah. And then I've definitely done that before and had people respond and say, Hey, thank you so much for saying something. I was scared to say something too, but then you did. And then I just did. And that's yeah I think that always makes it a little bit more worth it you know it's like when when you get those messages I find that to be a really great feeling you know definitely okay so let's shift gears a little bit and talk about your background like pre-yoga what was Jameis like a little bit about your story because I think your story is really interesting and I kind of resonate it with it a lot you know I'll, I'll let you share <laughs> I moved to the Virgin Island when I was 22 to a little island called St. John. And my intention at the time was to be there for about six months and move back 
but I loved it. And I ended up staying for five years. There was a quick break, about a six month break halfway through there because of me chasing a guy, but (laughs) that, as you can imagine, did not work out well. (laughs) And the bar that I was working at burned down on New Year's Eve. I wasn't in it, but I didn't have a job and I felt like that was a sign. So I left, went back to St. John. This time I was supposed to go for a month to bartend and just make some money. And I ended up staying for another three years. So it was a very special, fun time. I still have probably 40 friends from down there that I consider family that we're still all very close. And we all spend a lot of time together, try to get together every year, but it was wild. It's like living in a small town, but on an Island. And most people who end up down there are running or searching. And that's why you end up around so many free spirits, so many people who are so much fun and just love to enjoy life and are not afraid to buy a plane ticket to St. Martin this afternoon. And just, it, it really was spectacular, but I also was partying a lot and in very toxic relationships, just sort of one after another. (laughs) And eventually got caught up in a really toxic relationship with someone who happened to be my boss at the time. And we ended up breaking up and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. So my friend was getting ready to move to Austin, Texas. She was my roommate at the time and said, do you want to come with me? I'm leaving in two months. And I said, sure, let's go to Austin. So I moved to Austin. Um, and then that was where I found my, I got started truly on my yoga journey. My mom, I'd been practicing with her on and off over the years, but Austin is like the yoga Mecca There's studios everywhere. And I was a big runner. I had ran my first trail, um, my first marathon and I was doing trail running in Austin. I would go out and run like 15, 20 miles a day. And I was 10 miles out into the green belt without a phone sorry, dad. And I twisted my knee and was kind of stuck out there and had to hobble all the way home. And it's never been the same. Like, I think I've mentioned that to you before. I can't really run more than two miles without it hurting. And someone said, Hey, you should try hot power yoga. It's a great workout. I was like, awesome. I need that. And then it went from there. And so then what what happened after Austin? Cause you lived, you moved back home with your parents, right? Where were they at? I did. So I did my t- first teacher training in Austin and felt this deep rooted pull to become a yoga teacher, like to share it. I was in a very dark, like the darkest time of my life when I was living in Austin in another toxic relationship with someone who just, he just didn't love me. And <laughs> I loved him so much. And that did not, it, it, it unfolded very badly and I wasn't taking care of myself. I was partying and drinking a lot and doing a lot of drugs. And I found that the only time I was really happy and felt good was when I was walking. It was, I would take 
this Monday night, 8.30 candlelight yoga class. And I would walk home. It was about five blocks from my house. And when I was walking home, I would feel the sense of clarity for like five minutes, just walking home, 10 minutes. And then, you know, would spiral out, you know, control again. And so I kept going every week and then I started going more and I started going more and more. And my mom, my parents definitely got the sense that I was not doing well. And she said, Hey, I know you go to this studio, it's called Black Swan Yoga. And I know that you go on Monday nights and I looked up and the teacher that teaches that Monday night class is leading a yoga teacher training and we think you should do it. So I signed up the week before training started. And then after that was over, I knew I couldn't afford to live in Austin. I was office manager at a construction firm and my mom, I had been living so far from home for years and she was like, why don't you move home with us so that you can teach? They're looking for teachers at the, stu- the gym I teach at. So I moved home and her yoga teacher, Shakti Skaggs, took me under her wing and made every connection that she could. And I was teaching all over Northern Virginia at gyms, mostly in tiny studios. It was quite an adventure when I say all that out loud. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then you moved to Charlotte where you are now. Yes. Yeah. So I... Moved home with my parents, decided I was just going to work on figuring out how to love myself because I know you've been through yoga teacher training and so much of it is self-study. And You kind of get your world rocked a little bit. Definitely. and Over and over again. <laughs> Not to discourage anyone listening that's, that is uh, contemplating going through a yoga teacher training, which by the way, if you are and you live in Charlotte, Jameis has one and she's fantastic. So you should definitely do it because it's a great experience. Just saying it is a little life-changing in a great way. It is, but in a way that like you have to do the work, mm. but it, it's scary if you're, you know, I was at that time, I think 28, 27 And it was the first time I'd ever looked at myself, my uh, destructive behavior, the the way that the thing that became the most clear was that I didn't love myself. And I was very, I was so hard on myself. I'd always been told from time to time that I'm a judgmental person. And when I started studying Ayurveda, that, that all unfolded and I understood that that's that pitta in me, that fire. And someone who is an out of balance pitta is very judgmental. And when you're judging others, really, that's just a reflection. You're probably judging yourself 20 times more. And I was so hard on myself. And I didn't think that I deserved to be in a a healthy, happy relationship. I think that's, I was able to kind of look at all of these relationships that I've been in where I felt like I needed to to save them and, and, um, would put their happiness over mine. And I realized that was because I didn't think I deserved to be happy. And so I moved home with my parents, you know, not dating anybody. I'm just going to work on me. And I just practiced yoga. I started my 500 hour training with Maria Gare and Shiva Ray. And I would do that every other weekend. And all I did was practice yoga and teach yoga. And I didn't really have any friends except for my one friend uh, from high school that we spent a lot of time together. But I really just hung out with my parents and by myself. And then I was introduced by that girlfriend to my now husband at the right time. That was, you know, two years later and I was not interested. I did not want to date anyone. And he was the opposite of 
everything and everyone I'd ever dated before. But it's, if you look at it, you know, reflecting, it's because it's who I was attracting. It's because of all the work I'd done on myself. And, and I was ready to, I didn't need him, you know, and we ended up getting married and moving down here to Charlotte. And we've been here for, I think, almost four years now. Crazy. I know it is crazy. So speaking of doing the work, and I know like you were there for me a lot as a friend and as a teacher through a breakup that I went through that someone I'd been with for about five years and it's been a little over a year now since we broke up. And I remember having a very similar situation to where when that was over, all of these old habits I had came, you know, popping up and I was starting to really talk down to myself and just be really mean to myself and not really love myself at all. And that was, you know, just one of those times where you open your eyes up and you're like, damn, I'm here again. I got to do this work. And it's crazy. I remember feeling like shameful, you know, that I, I'm here again. Like, how did I get here again? You know, um, I have to do this work again. This work ever over, like, which we know it's never over. But I guess my question for you is as someone who has been there before, if you could give any advice to someone who might be finding themselves in a similar situation or maybe is um, recognizing some things about themselves that they're not too fond of, that they would like to change and they're curious about the change in that process, what's some advice that you would give them as far as where to start on that journey? I have a few things. I would say the first thing is to confront what is in front of you and be honest with yourself. We're taught from a very young age not to do that, you know, to only sort of turn towards the sunshine and, and do things that make you happy. And instead of looking at your imbalances, right. And Ayurveda that I love that, that was one of the most empowering things that I took away from all my Ayurveda training was looking at yourself as imbalance or out of balance versus these are my good traits and these are my bad traits. We all have these tendencies towards imbalance that are affected by things that happen around us. And sometimes things like breakups, um, losing a job or a move or you name it, big life events, any sense of like trauma can really throw us out of balance. And so if you can be honest with yourself and say, Hey, here's here's the way that I'm feeling right now. This is the way that I'm talking to myself. This is the story I've been telling myself. Like you just said, um, that I don't deserve to be happier. You, we all have our own sort of negative thought patterns that start to perpetuate and they get stronger. The more that you say them, it's a mantra essentially. And as soon as you acknowledge something, it loses a lot of its power. You can rewrite your story. If if you want to, if you're willing to work hard enough. And then the second part is that you need support. Like you just said, I'm lucky to have had really wonderful teachers, great friends, um, wonderful parents. It's the worst. And that's where yoga comes into whether it's, um, cause sometimes just meditating when you're going through shit is a lot to just sit with your thoughts and this physical practice of yoga to, to reconnect to your body and let yourself feel again, because that's what happens. I mean, it's just our, as humans, we, we run from pain, whether it's physical pain or emotional pain, we're, that's how we're designed is to, to run away from that. And so 
I will notice that with myself. I feel like you and I have talked about this before where you go through something like I had a close friend of mine died last year and it, and I found a couple, you know, there's these weeks going by afterwards where I would go to practice yoga. I would like start to roll out my mat and I would sort of feel this like, a, like aversion, like, no, I don't want to do that. I think I'm going to go for a run instead or go boxing. I'm going to go hit shit, you know, because I knew that once I started moving and breathing and reconnecting that I would have to feel all that stuff. And it's really scary, you know? Yeah, it is. But what do they say? The only way out is through. Yeah. Amen to that. It's so true. And I've caught myself in many similar situations. Okay, I could sit here. No, I think I'm just going to turn on Vanderpump Rules yeah. <laughs> or, you know, like something to distract me so I don't have to feel the way that I feel. But again, and especially after my last breakup, when that came up again, I realized that that was just a pattern that I had had for so long, dated back, went back to my high school boyfriend, you know, just anytime any pain or I was ever hurt, I wanted it to go away as soon as possible. And it didn't matter what I had to do. I just wanted it gone and I didn't want to sit with it. And then it finally got to the point where I was just a little fed up with it. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't want to keep having to feel this way. I just want to deal with it and see if maybe there's a better way. Because so, when you shut down from the pain, you're still shutting down a part of yourself emotionally. So that does mean that you're not able to, um, feel on the other end of the spectrum, like joy and connection to that full extent, because you have these barriers up. I mean, that shit is real. And it's so easy these days to distract yourself, whether it's with Bravo, which, you know, that you and I both love, um, or, Picking, I'll find myself, you know, we have to tell them about Lisa Vanderpump. Um, oh my gosh, we totally do. We totally do. Um, yeah, we should just, yeah, let's forget all this serious talk. So um, Heather and I really bonded. We were always friends, but like yoga friends, you know? And then I found out that Lisa Vanderpump was coming to the Harris Teeter to <laughs> promote her new wine. Vander, Vanderpump Rosé. And I was asking my, my friends, I was like, anybody want to come meet her? And everyone was like, no, I'm not waiting in line at Harris Teeter to meet Lisa Vanderpump. And then I'm trying to remember, I think you, one of us messaged each other and we were like, uh, yeah. So we went, we waited for four and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> but we got in there, damn it. We were like one of the last ones. They were about to shut it down and just say, sorry, everyone. But we got in. And when we did get in, <laughs> Jameis went full on embrace for Lisa Vanderpump. Like I was cleaning out my phone the other day and found, come across the photo and it's one of those live photos. So if you hold it down, there's like a little bit of movement and you just see Jameis just like plunge on Lisa LVP, take her out. She's just like, Hey, I was going in for a gentle hug. And then I was like, and then the photo, I like kind of have like a little like awkward embrace and Jameis is just like fully around her neck and it was amazing I wrapped my arm around her neck and she has the funniest look on her face like what is this chick doing with her pearly whites she's just as beautiful in person right yeah well we also I mean after like hour three remember we made friends with the girls in line behind us and we bought bottles of wine before we got in there so yeah 
that Vanderpump Rosé makes me squirrely. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a great show. Um, So at the start of your yoga teaching journey or your career as a yoga teacher, you said you were teaching at gyms and smaller classes. So was that your only quote unquote job at the time? No, it was not. I had a side hustle as they call it these days. Up until about last year, honestly, I was living at home, so I didn't have to pay rent. I was teaching about 15, 20 classes a week, but making anywhere from $5 a class to maybe at the most 35. And it was Northern Virginia. So I was driving all over the place. And I started working as an assistant to my friend who was a real estate agent. And I did that for about at least 10, 15, again, sometimes 20 hours a week. But I found that it was nice because I could make my hours with him. He just needed me in several hours a day. And so that meant that I could pick up any sub class because that's what I found to be the best way. If you're a new yoga teacher or anybody in the fitness uh, profession, was to become somebody who's, who people can rely on, who works really hard and who's there to support other teachers and to support the studios. So I became known as this teacher who you could text me at 1030 at night and say, I need a sub for my 5am class tomorrow. And I would do it. I always, I made a pact with myself that I always said yes, unless I really couldn't. So I taught the worst class times I was teaching out, you know, 45 minutes away from my parents' house at 6 a.m., Monday, Wednesday, Friday, subbing every time anybody wanted me to and barely still making it by. But it gave me a lot of great experience. And then the other thing was, is that if I needed a sub, people felt like, oh, Jameis helps me out, so I'm going to help her out. So that was really an educational time for me, it was very humbling. I think that's hard when you start something new as a new yoga teacher. Here I am, I'm like 28, 29 years old and I'm a beginner and there's people that are younger than me that are killing it. And I, it was important that I just had to say, okay, this is what I want to do. I feel really passionately about this. And just because you know something and you understand something does not mean that you can teach it. Teaching is an art in itself. First, you have to know what you're doing. Then you have to figure out how to articulate it to people in a way that um, first they can understand. And then to be like a true teacher is find ways to say things that spark something inside of them and, and sharing something with people that they already know, but they'd forgotten about and figuring out how to weave all that together. And the only way my mom was an educator forever. And she would say the only way you're going to master your craft is you, if you practice it. And so I just taught as many hours as I could so that by the time I moved to Charlotte, where I was only teaching in gyms and tiny studios in Virginia, and I got down to Charlotte, there are these massive studios and there was so much, you know, pressure. There's 50 people in the room versus five. And, but I had so much experience that I was able to sort of put all of my insecurity and my fear aside and fake it, fake my, you know, confidence until I was able to grow again here in Charlotte. I had to change the way that I was teaching because the way everyone taught here was so different. Like you said, you came to one of my first classes and I 
fell into the trap for sure that a lot of new teachers and coaches, but I think especially yoga teachers fall into of feeling like you have to be like the people that are successful around you and saying, Oh, well, look at them. They're doing a great job and everyone loves them. I should teach the way that they're teaching. But as you can imagine, that didn't really go well. I mean, I still, I, it was fine, but I was never really, I never really felt good about the way that I was teaching. I wasn't teaching the way that I was taught. I wasn't teaching the way that I practice. Everything about it felt off. And then when I finally realized that I remember one time, I can still remember the class that I taught and I was tired and I just, I just didn't care. And I was like, I'm just going to, you know what? I'm just going to like teach the way that I practice and I'm just going to be myself. And like five people came up after and they were like, wow, I've never really like felt this in your classes before. That was really great. And it was a huge lesson for me. So then I just said, fuck it. And just started teaching authentically, as we say, that's like such a buzzword, but just trying to be myself as a teacher. And that's when you really connect with people. And that's of course, when opportunities started opening up and that's always my biggest piece of advice to new teachers is work your ass off and try to be yourself. But it's hard to be yourself in a world where you and I were just joking about how everybody praises and preaches authenticity, but we're all scared to be ourselves because we don't know what everybody will think about the real us. So instead we look at what's happening on Instagram and we feel like we have to mimic other people and perpetuates the cycle. Yeah, totally. Uh, social media, man, double-edged sword, like you were saying earlier, right? It's like so much good can come, but, um, it can also present its challenges for sure. So, but speaking of authenticity and doing things that are authentic to us in our work and in our life and, um, creating, you know, unique things that we feel passionate about, which has kind of been like the theme that I think we've been talking about um, today. Tell me a little bit about Solstice, which is something that you created that is definitely really unique and definitely authentic to you. And I've been to Solstice and if anyone listening has been to Solstice, um, it definitely requires a little getting outside of your comfort zone as a student and a participant. So I imagine as a teacher, it does as well. So tell me just a little bit about Solstice and, um, tell the listeners what it is and why it is unique and, um, special to you. Yes. So we're coming up actually on the year anniversary of it. And it was a reaction to, I wanted to put on a big event that was going to be a fundraiser for the Time's Up Foundation. Like I'd mentioned a little while back when we were just chatting, it was kind of in reaction to what was happening, not only globally with the Time's Up and the Me Too movement, but what was happening here in Charlotte with, um, within our own community. So we did this big fundraiser and I wanted to call it a yoga rave. I wanted to throw a yoga rave based off of my time with Shiva Ray. And she would, uh, she does these things called yoga trance dance. And it's, you know, this mix of yoga and dance. And I had kind of done, created this spin off of that, that I was doing for my teacher trainees, but I'd only ever taught to say the most 20 people. And I wanted to call this event a yoga rave, but my friends at Sweatnet were like, no, 
we're not calling it that. (laughs) That is going to scare people away. And so instead, we organically, we were calling it the summer solstice event, and it turned into solstice. But I was afraid if we told people too much about what we were doing, they wouldn't come. And so much of what solstice is, is just showing up as you are, letting go of all of your inhibitions, and moving in a way that makes you feel free. But that's hard to explain to people. And it almost sounds intimidating if you say, yeah, it's yoga and ecstatic dance. I'm not sure how many people <laughs> come to that. I would go. But. <laughs> so we, all we told them was that it was going to be a yoga celebration with lights and music, and it was going to be great. And 200 people showed up. And I was terrified because I'd only ever taught some version of this to 20 people. And I just opened up with saying that we're here to celebrate the longest day of the year. And we're going to start with some yoga and take it from there. And you kind of start with yoga, but very fluid movements where I'm encouraging people to move intuitively. So giving them direction, but also kind of constantly over and over saying, Hey, but at the same time, like, don't feel like you have to look exactly like me close your eyes. How does your body want you to move? What feels good versus, um, what am I, am I doing this right or wrong? And then from there we do some Kriyas, which are these repetitive movements. And then it turns into an all out dance party. And I remember on Instagram, so many people had, they quoted me Because I said, you know, when people, we first started dancing, you could tell people were really freaked out. Some people were like, yes. And then other people were like, what is happening? And why am I here? This is not yoga. It's not a yoga class. And it's not. Um, And I said, you know, there was probably some point in your life when people told you that you can't dance. Because that happened to me. When I was in ninth grade, my I was on the dance team and this, my dance coach told me that I didn't quite have the look and she moved me in the back row from the front row, even though it was like based off of height and it stuck with me forever, you know? And anytime I'm dancing at a wedding or wherever, I'm always like aware that I don't quite have the look. And so I said, you know, there's probably some point in your life where people told you that you are not a good dancer and that you can't dance. Well, fuck that. And people were like, like quoting me. Oh, I still remember it too. Everybody was like, what? And I was like, yeah, what is, what does it mean to be a good dancer? Who are you? Who's anybody to judge you off of like your movements? Dance is about, it's like, it's a freedom of expression and moving your body through like whatever you've been going through. And you, you know, people dance for thousands of years to celebrate, to mourn and, it's a cathartic release. That's why ecstatic dance is so powerful. But at the same time, it has this stigma around it because people look crazy, but essentially we, we do become crazy. It's like an out of body experience. When you just start moving your body with this innate rhythm that we all have. And when you, as somebody who loves to dance, who loved going to raves, who, um, I, I, I love to just dance. And I love that about that. Um, you know, when you would go to a rave is that everybody is kind of dancing chaotically and, and people would tease me about the way I dance, 
but I felt like it didn't matter in that community. So I wanted to try to create the same space, but in a sober environment where you're, you're dancing. And if you're not numbed by alcohol, by drugs, you feel the endorphins. And that's why when a lot of people come to my solstice events, they'll share after that they, they felt waves of emotion. They, they started crying or hysterically laughing or, or felt these, these emotions, these things that seem to be out of place because you're shaking up stuff that you start to hold in your body. Like when you and I were sharing earlier, when, when you're sad, when you're, when you're going through things and you don't, every time you're, you want to cry and you don't, and you swallow back the tears and you sort of shove it down into your body. It's like, well, where does that go? Right. Tears. It's like a form of energy. Well, where is that? It's, it's stored in your body somewhere now. And so being able to move in a way that is innate to you versus in a yoga class where someone says, you have to put your arm here. You have to do this. You have to do that. It is, it's liberating for people and it can be very, um, freeing to be in a space where you feel like it's okay to be who you are and dance the way you want to dance. And the other reason I love doing it is I'm not the best dancer that you'll ever see, but I'm not afraid to flail around. And, um, that gives other people permission to do the same thing. You got so into it. You hurt your foot. (laughs) I know. I was like out the next day. My calves were hurting so bad. I was like, oh my gosh, but it was so much fun. And I do remember leaving there and just feeling so many emotions. And I had walked there and I was walking home and I was just like, oh my gosh, like, you know, and, and I have that feeling a lot when I leave the yoga mat, you know, and I've had it many times in my life, but that was definitely something different. It was really special. And you're right. I've been, I danced for 10 years growing up, but I've been told many times that, you know, I wasn't a good dancer. Like, what is that? Like, you know, people make you feel a little stupid, you know, because yeah. dancing is this thing where it, it is out of your comfort zone, you know? When I started reading, there's a lot of dissertations online on ecstatic dancing and, the, and this idea that dance became a form of entertainment not that long ago, you know, where you, you dance in a certain way, you dance to entertain people, you dance. And the, and the way that you did that was you dance consecutively, you, you match each other's movements. Or then there's, of course, you know, getting into this whole idea that, that women needed to follow men to dance, that we needed to be told how to dance. So there's a lot of power in taking that back and being like, no, I know how to dance. It may not look the same as somebody who's on stage as a professional ballerina, which is beautiful in its own right. But, but we all were born with rhythm. We're all born knowing how to move. It's just that we lose touch with that, especially I think when we're maybe in like our teens and we're being judged for everything. We're judging ourselves for everything. Yeah, definitely. And I want to paint a picture for those that are listening that have not been to a solstice. Jameis is on this stage in the center with all these lights on her. The rest of the room is dark. Like she said, there's like 200 people and she's just up there dancing, moving around, drumming the floor, like doing all sorts of things. And I don't, I was very inspired because it's like, you know, wow, that has to be scary. And I'll let you explain, you know, how you are feeling, but I just found it really inspiring. Cause I know that it's probably, 
you know, outside of your comfort zone as well to be up there. So how did you, what kind of fears were coming up for you? I was talking at a meeting with Sweatnet because we're getting ready to do our next of the summer solstice falls on a Friday this year. And it's the same day as international day of yoga. So we're doing a big event here in Charlotte at camp North end. And, um, the people who helped me put on the event brought up that they had no idea that I had never done that with more than 20 people because they had to come get me out of the bathroom because I was hiding in the back stall, like trying not to hyperventilate. And I was like, I can't do this. This is all wrong. And you know, have, you have these thoughts of like, like, what if I just leave? Like what, like what's going to, what's the worst that's going to happen? Like I, I, I can't go up there, but sure enough, you're on stage and, and it almost helped with the, the lights. That's a big part of, of what, of how Sweatnet helped create this experience of what solstice is, is with the fog and, and the lights and the, and everybody has the glow sticks. And I couldn't see how many people, it wasn't like I was staring at 200 people, but I looked out and most of the people that were right in front of me, I knew, you know, I could see you and, um, and a bunch of my friends from Lululemon and, you know, Christina and Virginia, and there are all these faces. And I was like, Oh, they don't want me to fail, you know? And it's easy to think that when you're, um, when you're public speaking, when you're teaching that the people are waiting for you to fail. And that if you mess up, that people are going to be like, Oh, I knew they were going to mess up, but really that's not what people are thinking or expecting And especially when you're teaching something and you're holding space for people, everybody's not everybody, most people, let's say are rooting you on and the people that aren't have their own things that they need to work on. And and that's, you know, probably a whole other can of worms that, that we could get into, but it was so scary, but feeding off of people's energy and emotion, like, especially when I could feel everyone just let loose and start moving. It was the best. Though the second one that we did um, was actually right after my friend had died. It was two days later, and I didn't think I could do it. And my husband and my best and two of my best friends came to support me. My husband will practice yoga, but you know, yoga and dancing, like not necessarily his thing. But that was Sean. Sean went to the first one. He did. <laughs> This is before we were dating, but yeah, he was there. He was like, yeah, it was interesting. I was like, I would have died to see you there. That would have been amazing. Well, and he, he came just to be there for me because I was really struggling. And afterwards we got home and I was like, okay, so what did you think? How, you know, how much did you hate it? And he said, I got to tell you, you were halfway through that like third song with the drums. He goes, and I don't even know what happened. I just started letting out these like primal screams. <laughs> He'd probably kill me. <laughs> oh what? He's like, oh yeah, Jeremy. He's like, we were getting into it. Oh when we were God. playing the earth, man. He was like, that was so much fun. And more men need to know about that. Like he was like, I am, can't tell you the last time I felt that way. And then he came to the last one too. He, he oh my gosh. That's amazing. I didn't know that. I'm just cracking up thinking about him letting out primal screams. That's amazing. Oh yeah. And my uh, other, my best friend, Casey, who was there with them, she was doing, she was like, Oh, you, she's like, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. 
she's like, they were going crazy. And, um, she doesn't practice a ton of yoga either. And, and she was saying the same thing, like just, it, it creates a sense of, of, of freedom and, um, and cascade of emotions that, and endorphins that you don't even know are there. So <laughs> definitely. That's amazing. I'm going to call him out on that next time I see him and be like, Hey, can I see some of your primal movements or what? <laughs> Okay. So one more question that I wanted to ask you, and I think if there are any yoga teachers here that are listening or just fitness professionals in general, that this could be really beneficial for them. I've kind of seen you grow your business, you know, through solstice and through the yoga teacher trainings and through rocket yoga and through essentially other ways than just teaching studio classes. I don't mean just, but you know what I mean as having that your sole source of income, because you and I both know it is very challenging to be able to support yourself and to do, you know, your soul's work that you feel so called and so passionate about when you're stressing over your finances or you're not really able to have your own practice because you're so busy giving so much away through teaching. So if you could offer up any advice to a yoga teacher out there that is maybe looking to grow their business from financial standpoint or just um, overall growth, what would be some ways that you would suggest that they go about doing that? Yeah, I think that that is you kind of share that that's how you make that transition. I think yoga teachers are not paid enough per class to make a sustainable living. So you have to be creative. You have to either have a second job, which is what I did. I helped manage studios. I helped um, run social media accounts. And really it's about workshops. I was talking to another yoga teacher friend of mine who I was with this weekend and I was telling him that, um, starting with teaching workshops is where it's at. But what holds a lot of teachers back from doing that is fear, right? It's like, well, what do I have to offer? Like I I can't teach a workshop. There's the fear of first, no one's going to come or second, do I have this, do I have enough wisdom or information or training to offer something specialized? And I think if you can sit down and and treat it as a business where you sit down and, and you write out your workshop descriptions, what are your strengths? What are you good at? First, what are you good at? Make a list of that. What is my training in? Um, what are my strengths as a practitioner, as a teacher? And then what do I feel really passionate about? What really turns me on when I am, you know, practicing, like what lights me up? What do I get really excited to share with people? And that's where rocket, like I always, people will visibly see it on my face when they say, Oh, how was your rocket training this weekend? And I'll get all excited. I'm like, Oh, it was so great. We did this and we did that. Because when you're really passionate about something, as you know, you lead people in this all the time. When you're really passionate it becomes effortless and people get that sense of your passion and your excitement. And then they feed off of that. And then they leave with this renewed sense of like, wow, they really care about that. And they've, they've clearly spent a lot of time mastering their craft and putting energy into this. So I can guarantee that every single yoga teacher out there can put together at least one workshop that is specialized that people can benefit from. Even if Um, my rocket teacher, David Kyle always says that the best teachers for beginners are beginner teachers. And so he will always say that, that, um, and it's really, 
it makes sense if you think about it, that someone who's a brand new teacher would probably create a better workshop and give, um, those students a better, um, experience than if I, as a more experienced teacher or you as a more experienced teacher would trying to teach beginners. And so there's always something that you can come up with to share. And then, then you're able to make, you know, usually you make a split with the studio or you have the ability to rent out a space, um, and then rely on other teachers around your people in your community to help support you. If you don't have a big social media following yet, but you're working on it, reach out, ask, you know, I remember asking you at times before I had a big social media following, Hey, can you share this? And, um, and so I try to do that for other people now too. So I think that that is where it starts. And then trying to treat yourself as a brand, as a business, be intentional with everything that you do and, and treat what you're doing like a business, write out a business plan, figure out how much money do I want to make? How much money am I making teaching all these classes? Is this sustainable? Cause chances are it's not. So maybe would you do better being able to teach 10 classes a week and then have a part-time job versus trying to teach 25 classes a week and being so burnt out and still not making enough money to pay the rent. Right. And not making time for yourself and your own practice and your own self-care and self-study, which just ultimately ends in burnout. It does. And that any yoga teacher will tell you that, right? The more you start teaching, the more effort you have to put into practicing. And I do that now too. Two of my biggest changes that I made for myself over this last year, as my business started to grow, as I'm now shifting more towards leading teacher trainings and advanced teacher trainings and workshops and events like solstice is that I, I schedule my practice time in. So if I'm going to, if I'm like Wednesdays are my office day, everybody teases me. That was a great piece of advice that my friend who's an entrepreneur gave me. And that was have one day every week where you just work and you sit down at your computer and you, you have your list and you work the way that you would in an office and treat your business the way that you would, if you were working for someone. And this is like different, even though it's Wednesday today, it's because I'm going out of town tomorrow, but normally on Wednesdays, I won't take meetings with people. I just, I say no. And I work, even if it's just writing, writing my blog. And then second is that I schedule my practice time in. So like, it's easy to be like, Oh, I'm, I'm work. I have too much to do. I don't have time to practice, but treat, I try to remember that like, practicing for an hour is just as important as writing, you know, my blog or sending out all these emails or rewriting my teacher training manual because it's really easy to get caught up in all of that and then just not practice. And then you're not your best self as we all know. I love that. That is such great advice. All right, Jameis. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful for you. You've really just been a big inspiration for me over the past couple of years. And I'm so excited for everything that you have going on and I can't wait to see it continue to grow. So before we go, tell everyone where they can find you on social media, your website, all the things. Yes. You can follow me on Instagram. It's Jameis Yoga and that's J-A-I-M-I-S. And same with my website, jamisyoga.com. And 
come check out one of my rocket classes or my rocket trainings. And yeah, thanks to you. I feel like we've both grown so much in the last year or two, and it's been really neat to be growing on our own, but also side by side. And I'm inspired by you daily too. So thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. And I'll link all of that in the show notes as well. Thanks for tuning into today's episode of Hustle with Intention. For the show notes, head over to hustlewithintentionpodcast.com. If you enjoy this episode, please leave a review and share it with a friend. And if you're feeling extra fancy, screenshot the episode, upload it to your Instagram story and tag me at heatherlynnb, B-E-E, like a bumblebee, and hashtag get buzzed with Heather so I can connect with you and hear your biggest takeaways from the episode. Until next time, keep hustling.